Man, let us let us pray. Father, first we thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for the reading of your word. When you called uh, Israel to repentance. And Lord, that is what we uh, do this morning. We come to call our uh, nation to repentance. We call to call all sinners uh, to repentance. Lord, you called your people to listen to you, to not have foreign gods among them. But Lord, uh, unfortunately, all of us have been guilty of putting other gods before you, small g gods in our culture, whether through social media, through seeking the worship of, of self, seeking the adoration of and affections of others as opposed to cultivating our affections for Christ. Lord, as you told Israel, as we read in the, in the psalm, you pled them to listen to you, that there should be no foreign gods among them, that they should not worship any other foreign god because you are the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. And Lord, you are the Lord who brought us out of slavery, the slavery, slavery to sin, the slavery to Satan, the slavery to the fear of death. And Lord, though you've done that for us, we still at times turn our backs to you. We still at times shake our fists to you. We may not do it physically, but we do it in our, in our actions where we rebel against your word. So Father, we come to you this morning as a church, as individuals, to, to repentance, to turn away, to have a change of heart about sin, that sin is high-handed treason against your holiness, that sin is egregious in your eyes, a holy God cannot stand the sight of any sin. So, Father, we come to you this morning in repentance. Help us to have repentant hearts. As, as I was reading this morning in 1 Chronicles 29 in David's prayer of praise for the giving of the uh, uh, building of the temple. Lord, he prayed, he pled that hearts be turned to you. And Lord, that is what repentance looks like. It is a heart that is turned away from sin and sinful uh, thoughts and sinful words and sinful deeds. Sinful proclivities and giving in to the temptation to sin every time. And turning to you. For David said keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the hearts of your people. And fix their heart toward you. And Father we, we pray that you fix our hearts toward you. Fix our affections toward you. 
we can so easily lose our affections for our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, keep our hearts fixed toward you. And Lord, give us a loyal heart to keep your commandments, to do all the things that you have called us to do in your word. And Lord, it's not that you leave us helpless. We, through the Spirit's power, have the ability to obey your word and your commands. But Father, even when we fall short, which we will, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We're clothed with his righteousness that was imputed to us upon salvation. We have been justified. We have been declared not guilty. But Lord, that does not free us to, to, to just sin uh, without number. To just abuse the liberties that we have in Christ. To live in habitual sin. But Lord, that, that justified status frees us to, to pursue righteousness and to pursue holiness and to pursue godliness, knowing that when we do fail, that we will not utterly fall because we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We can't, a Christian cannot habitually live in sin because of that. And Father, of course, I call our nation to repentance. Our nation has forgotten you. It, it's been a long road downward. It didn't just start this year or, or last year. It's been going on for perhaps the past 50 or 60 years where our nation has forgotten you. Where our leaders on both sides of the aisle have forgotten you, have turned their backs on you. Turned their backs on the, the Judeo-Christian principles in which our nation was founded. It was not founded as a Christian nation, but our, our constitution and our laws are informed by a Christian ethic. Lord, our nation is dismantling that notion of a Christian work ethic, of a Christian ethic. And Father, we call our nation to repentance. We call our leaders to turn back to you. We thank you, Lord, for staying your hand of judgment. We thank you, Lord, for restraining evil. Lord, there will come a day where your hand of restraint will be removed. And Lord, we pray that when that day comes, that you prepare your believers to withstand the evil to come. Lord, until then, we pray that you turn hearts to you. Turn the hearts of those who hate you, who hate your people, who hate your church, which was purchased with your blood. Turn their hearts to you, Lord, in salvation. Shut the mouths of those who wish to devour your people. So that is my prayer this morning for our church and for our, our nation. Lord, I pray for uh, Melissa. You know, she was diagnosed with COVID 
um, this past Wednesday, and we pray that you be with her. We talked with her a couple days ago. She's, she's doing fine. I pray, Lord, that you be with her and minister to her through your spirit and that she uh, takes the counsel that she received uh, from me and from Fran concerning what she needs to do with this time. I pray, Lord, for Sandy that you, you be with her, help her in her mind. The battlefield is going on in her mind, Father, that you order her thoughts that you protect her from harm and from evil, protect her mind, protect her heart. She desires, Lord, to follow you and to do what is right in your eyes. Lord, she's struggling mightily. Pray that we continue to come alongside her and be there with her. And Lord, that you do that work in her mind and in her heart. Lord, we pray for uh, Bob. I talked to Bob this past week. He's still dealing with the effects of having COVID, although he doesn't have it, but he's still dealing with the effects of it. Uh, his health is slowly uh, deteriorating. He's a very dear brother to me and to our church family. Pray, Lord, that your grace be with him this morning, that you continue to uh, strengthen him. As he says, he's still doing the work of ministry as much as he can that you strengthen him, Lord, by your power. And pray for Marianne also, his precious and sweet wife, that you be with her as she uh, helps to take care of him and still do her duties at the church. And Lord, we pray for Anderson Bible Church. They have received a uh, assistant pastor, Brother Brian Sullivan, and his wife, uh, Vanessa. We're praying for a smooth and encouraging transition into ministry and that they're able to find a home and be able to get one at a, a good price that they can afford. Uh, right now they're staying with the St. John's. We thank you Lord for bringing uh, them another elder and assistant pastor to help uh, Bob and brother Michael Scherer uh, share the ministry load. And we pray for his faithfulness at their church and we pray that the ABC family continues to love and support him and his family. Lord, we pray for our other sister churches, a Redeemer, Grace Fellowship, Christian Fellowship. Here at the Living Church, Father, that you be with us. Help us as men to be, continue to be godly men, to be godly examples to our flock, to love and honor our wives. And persevere us in pastoral ministry, which can be unforgiving at times. But, Father, you are so gracious to Shepherd us along as we help to shepherd your people. Thank you for your faithfulness to us as men who labor in preaching the gospel, who labor in leading our churches <coughs> in your truth. Just be with us all this morning as we preach your word. And Father, be with me as I continue my sermon here in the book of Ezra, the first chapter. Assist me by your power to preach this text well and Father assist us with illumination from the Holy Spirit to show us the truths that you want us to learn today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to Ezra the first chapter. We're continuing with where we started last week. I did the first two principles of my sermon. 
I did the introduction talking about uh, the narrative of scripture and how Israel ended up in exile. It didn't just happen in a vacuum. Uh, beginning with Genesis and going through the books of the law. And we looked at Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel, Kings and Chronicles. And we looked at some of the biblical characters that played a role in redemptive history. And so after that we went to the first chapter and we looked at how God had called um, Cyrus who was a pagan king. God used him to bring the exiles back to Jerusalem. Excuse me, in the book of Ezra the Israelites came back to rebuild the temple to uh, resume temple worship. The temple was the center of worship for God's people. And it was destroyed, of course, by the Babylonians when they seized uh, Jerusalem. Around 586 B.C., the deportation started happening with the Jews being taken from Jerusalem and scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire at that time. And after a period of 70 years, as God had promised, which we're going to look at today, um, God had promised that he was going to bring them back. And he did do that. So just recapping here, uh, last week we talked about the first two principles. The first one was that a spiritual renewal requires God's great power and how God has stirred up the spirit of uh, Cyrus and the exiles. And there were some who wanted to come back and some who were comfortable living in Babylon. Then the second principle was that spiritual renewal needs God's providence. And we talked about what providence means, the doctrine of God's providence. And so... Today we're going to look at the last two principles. Uh, the first one is spiritual renewal is according to God's gracious promises. So looking at our text here again. We see that in the year that King Cyrus was king, he had issued an edict for them to come back. This fulfilled God's promise to the patriarchs and we're going to look at that if God had not promised renewal and restoration for the Jews no amount of human effort would have been um, brought to return from exile if God had not promised renewal and restoration of Jerusalem none of this would have happened they wouldn't have been able to do it under their own power because guess what? They did it. Within those 70 years of exile, there's no record of any Jews going back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple. 
God's timing was absolutely perfect. So if God had not promised it, then it would not have happened. And it says here in the very first verse of Ezra 1, again, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So, what was the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah? If you look at Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 12, this is the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12. It says, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. So this was when the Babylonians were going to come in. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed or accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it per a perpetual destination. And then looking at verse 13. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah had prophesied concerning all nations. Jeremiah was what we call a pre-exilic prophet. He prophesied uh, pre-exile. Okay? So he was calling Israel, or Judah in particular, to repentance. And of course he lamented that they did not, and that's why they ultimately went to exile anyway. But Jeremiah was prophesying to Judah beforehand. So God had promised, he had prophesied, that they were going to be in exile for 70 years years this is the promise that God had made and then also Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 14 it is said again Jeremiah 29 begin at verse 10 This was sent to Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon at that time. And, and just, just for note for historical record, Bab uh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the only king of, of Babylon because um, after Babylon, you had the Medes that came in, M-E-D-E-S. Some people say the Medes. They came in and they defeated Babylon. And then you had the uh, Persians that came in, which is what Cyrus, Cyrus ruled over. The Persians came in and it became the Metal Persian Empire. So you had a series of empires over hundreds of years that uh, they lived under. But this was the word of the Lord. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back 
from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Again, God had promised them that he was going to send them away, but also do what? Bring them back. And in the, I don't know if you noticed that in those verses I read was verse 11, which is one of the most misused and most um, misused out of context scriptures in all of the Bible. Jeremiah 29 and 11, which is a lot of people's life verse, so to speak, that I have plans for you. Okay, plans of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. That's one of the most out of context misused scriptures in all the Bible because when you read it in this context who was God talking to he was talking to Judah he was telling them that when he brought them to that land that those were going to be his plans for them that was not for us or for the the modern church or the modern Christian that in that context was for Judah because the you he's talking to is to Judah this is Jeremiah prophesying to those who are in what captivity in Babylonian captivity that God had plans for them. His thoughts toward them. And his thoughts were to do what? Bring them back out of exile after 70 years. Because that's what verse 10 says. So you have to read around the verse to do that. That's just a little instructive aside that I you know, want to, to let you all know. Because it says, after that, then you will call upon me and pray to me. And I will listen to you. That's what the exiles did when they came back and helped to reestablish worship. As we'll see moving forward in this book. So anyway, Jeremiah had prophesied. So when Ezra said by the word of Jeremiah, this is what he is speaking of. And Daniel, who lived during the exile, his prayer of forgiveness and restoration, da Daniel had meditated on Jeremiah's prophecy in Daniel 9. He says, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Israel. So this was Daniel 9 and 2. And this is where Daniel was about to pray his prayer to the Lord because he knew that the exile was about to come to an end. So obviously Daniel read his Bible too. <laughs> you know, he knew the word of God. So the word of Jeremiah. So what does this tell us? Seeing that what Jeremiah prophesied, God had fulfilled. It shows us that God's word is true. That God's word is true. Again, that God's word is what? It is true. In the book of Joshua, when all the tribes had received their allotted land, the scripture says in Joshua 21 and 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he has sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all the enemies into their hand in verse 45 of Joshua 21 says 
not a word of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. Not a word failed of all or any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. So even Joshua attested to God fulfilling his promises. His promises never fail. Whatever God promises is going to come to pass. Whatever he promises. It doesn't matter what it is. Joshua in his great speech in Joshua 23 and 14 says, Behold, this day I am going the way of the earth. This was his final farewell to Israel. He says, And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Man. God fulfills his promises. He fulfilled his promise to Israel. He was going to punish them because of their rebellion. And they were going to be in exile for 70 years. But after 70 years were complete, they were going to come back. And that is what we see happening in the opening verses of the book of Ezra. God, spiritual renewers according to God's promises. What has God promised us in his word? That is what we have to hinge our faith on. Not on the wisdom of this world, which is foolish, which is empty. When God's gracious promise of renewal comes to pass, they, they foster or they give birth to us a renewed faith in the truthfulness and the faithfulness of his word. When we see that God is faithful to his word, it renews our faith in his word, in the truthfulness of scripture. That God's word is true. Lord, you are true. Lord, you are truth. Your word is truth. Every spiritual renewal is founded upon and sustained by God's word. I think about the Reformation. The great Protestant Reformation that began in 1517 with Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin and all the other reformers over 500 years ago when they protested against the Catholic Church and its abuses. That is how the Reformation started. That Reformation was based on Scripture that salvation is by faith alone, that justification is by faith alone, through Scripture alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, the five solas of the uh, Reformation, was based on Scripture, based on the truth of God's Word. The Reformation was a renewal of the Word. The reformers, Luther, Calvin, and others began systematically teaching and applying God's word in ways that were grossly neglected by the Catholic Church. 
the Puritan movement here that began in England and came over to America in the 17th uh, century, in the 1600s, it was also centered on God's word. Where pastors would explain and apply the great doctrine of scriptures, usually in hour-long sermons. J.I. Packer said that in his book, A Quest for Godliness, that the Puritans were committed to the exposition of, of scripture, applying the great doctrines of scripture in usually hour-long sermons to teach people the word of God. In Christ, we find the gracious promise of spiritual renewal fulfilled. We find that ultimately in Christ. Why is that? Because Christ was the promised redeemer. We see that in the book of Ruth, Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, a, a type of Christ. David being the Christ king type. Where God promised David that there would never fail to be a man on his throne. And, and God was speaking of Christ at that point. So we see uh, Christ as the promised king. We see Christ as the promised lamb of God. Remember Psalm 23 is about Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. Christ said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd of the sheep. All the others that came before me were hirelings. They were not the real sheep. Christ is the good shepherd. And when David is writing Psalm 23, he is foretelling of Christ as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's speaking of Christ. That was a promise. Christ as our servant. Isaiah speaks of Christ as the great servant of God and Christ is the servant of servants he was a servant when he washed his disciples feet at the beginning of John the 13th chapter he told his disciples when they were arguing about who's the greatest he said let the greatest among you be his servant because the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many all of that was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. All those promises. He came to set people free from the bondage and tyranny of sin. So all those precious promises of the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 that speaks of his crucifixion, his death and his resurrection. All those promises that point to Christ God faithfully fulfills them and then think about other promises in God's word that that he has specifically for us you know when we have fear of man we begin to fear people and fear the opinions of people and, and Christ tells his disciples in Matthew 10 don't fear him who's able to destroy the body but not the soul but fear him who's able to destroy both the soul and body and hell we're not to fear man When he says before he ascended, I am with you always. We should never fear that God is not with us. Why? Because he promised that I am. Now I will be with you always. He said it emphatically. I am with you. I will be with you always. 
until the end of the age. Hebrews 13 and 5, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? That's a promise. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? That's a rhetorical question, meaning nothing. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said that in John 16 and 33. In this world, saint, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But, what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer. In other words, take joy. Why? He has overcome the world. The systems of this world that stand opposed to God. Christ has already overcome that. So we will have tribulation. That's a promise. But be of good cheer. Because he has overcome the world. That's a promise. So what we can do is hold on to, and there are many more, but hold on to those gracious promises in the word. Hold them dear. Hold them precious. Because we know that we serve a God who does not fail. Like we saw in the song this morning, our God is able. He is. He's able to fulfill his promises to us. Amen. Our last principle here is, and we're talking about spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal is for God's glorious purpose. Spiritual renewal is for the ultimate glory of God to be revealed in his purposes. Because the, the, the fact of the matter is the exile was ultimately accomplished by God and it was accomplished for God. His purpose will be revealed through a rebuilt temple. Through the reestablishment of worship and a renewed people. This chapter is just the beginning of it. It was accomplished by God and it was for God. And we're going to see as we read through this book and study and preach through this book that God's purpose, his glory, was going to be revealed through the temple being rebuilt, through worship being uh, reestablished, and through the people repenting of their sins and recommitting themselves to the law of God, which ultimately brings glory to God. When there's a renewed sense of worship. Where do we see the glory of God most supremely revealed in Christ? It's going to be revealed in the rebuilt temple when Jesus the Messiah appeared there. Luke 32, I'm sorry, Luke 2 and 32. God's salvation which he prepared in the presence of all people, the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That is when the glory of the rebuilt temple 
was supremely revealed. It was revealed in Christ. Christ is the greater temple. John 1, and, uh, John 1, the word became flesh. I think that's around verse 12, 13, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt. Dwelt means tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. His glory as the tabernacled God, God among his people. So this tabernacle that we're going to see being rebuilt, this rebuilt temple is going to be pointing to Christ, that spiritual renewal. Because you have to remember, Israel's center of worship was in Jerusalem, and the center of worship in Jerusalem was the temple. That was where they worshiped. And of course, the Babylonians, as I said earlier, they came and destroyed that temple and plundered it of all the uh, precious things that it had in it. But they destroyed their center of worship. That's where they worshiped. The holy city of Jerusalem. In the temple which Solomon had built. And so God's way of renewing them was through the rebuilding of that temple. But Christ has a temple that is not made with human hands. That, guess what? No man can destroy. No man can destroy. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by uh, the Romans in, eight, in 70 A.D., as Jesus had predicted, or rather prophesied. The temple was destroyed. But when Jesus was given that prophecy to the Pharisees, he said, destroy this temple and in three days it will be raised up. He was speaking of himself. They thought he was saying that the temple was going to be destroyed and be rebuilt in three days because they weren't thinking spiritually. They were thinking about spiritual renewal and spiritual eyes. They were thinking in a fleshly manner. But Christ says, destroy this temple. He was speaking of what? His body. And it would be raised up in three days. Because Christ was the embodiment of the temple, the tabernacle of God. And now those of us in, who are in Christ, guess what? We're part of that. We're part of the body of Christ. And so when we see God's glorious purpose being revealed in the building, rebuilding rather, of this temple, as Luke said, his salvation is a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel because they were going to see the true temple in the way that it was supposed to be and that is in Christ. And we see that his temple cannot be destroyed. Amen. So in conclusion, before we get to our applications, there's a couple of things here to, to note. Number one, God's purpose today is the same. He wants to reveal his glory through a renewed people. By means of providence, his, his great power, 
his precious promises and his glorious purposes. Those are the principles that we just went over. Renewed people will, by their holy lives and by our witness, we will reveal the Savior, Jesus Christ, through our renewed lives to all peoples. Remember, we are created to mirror and to image God. That's why God ultimately created man. Westminster Confession of Faith uh, says that uh, what is the chief purpose of man? The chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? As image bearers of God, we are meant to mirror or to image God. But fallen man failed to do that. And sin entered into the world. But through salvation, those of us who are believers, we are called by our lives, by our witness, to reveal Jesus Christ to all peoples. Spiritual renewal is not for us so that we can lead happily and fulfill lives to the neglect of the world. Spiritual renewal is for God's purpose. That his glory will be revealed to the nations. That's why Paul instructed us again. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Because it is God's glory that should be our foremost concern. Is this bringing glory to God? Is my behavior bringing glory to God? Is my thinking bringing glory to God? Is my speech bringing glory to God. And this is also a call uh, for men in, in especially, not just in the church, but, well, in the church in, in, in particular. It says, it was the heads of the fathers' households of Judah and Benjamin that arose to challenge to return to Jerusalem. That's in verse 5. God does greatly use godly women. He does. He has ordained for men to take the spiritual lead in the home and in his church. God won't bring renewal when men are spiritually passive. Men ought to be spiritually active in helping to bring renewal to God's church and to his people. And the women come alongside us. It is the responsibility of godly men to do that. And we know, unfortunately, especially in our culture, that we have a severe lack of godly men. And we have just lack of uh, men, period, leading their homes. When you have uh, upwards of one out of every six babies being born out of wedlock, there's a, a crisis there, but in the church that uh, of course, ought not be the case. The fathers of Judah and Benjamin, they arose to take that challenge. And that is what God has challenged us as men to do. Applications here. We've got four of them. First of all, we pray for spiritual renewal in our life and in the life of our church. You know, I was praying for repentance this morning. That's something that we ought to do, you know, not just occasionally, but often. If we want spiritual renewal, whether personally or for God's church, we must humble ourselves before God and ask him for it, pray for it. We don't want to be content in Babylon, so to speak. You know, remember, all the exiles didn't want to come back. Some of them wanted to stay. They had become comfortable. 
But we don't want to be content in Babylon. Renewal begins on the individual level before it can happen on the corporate level. When we read scripture, meditate on it, pray, ask the Lord to continue to give us a heart of repentance, to fight against sin, to struggle against sin, not to give in to sin. Seek the Lord through the means of grace, through scripture, through prayer, through fellowshipping with the saints. Do the hard work. Now, God works in us his salvation. We talked about that. He works in us his salvation. But we ought to work out what God has worked in us. Paul says, work out your own salvation. You don't work for it, but you work it out. Because it is him who works in us, God who works in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So it is God who wills us to do the hard work in order to see spiritual renewal happen. We have to put in some work. We have to get on our knees. We have to put down our phones and turn off our televisions. Turn off the, the noise. I have to fight for it. I'm busier than I used to be. And I have to fight for prayer time. I don't have an hour, hour and a half like I used to a few years ago, which I did. I praise God for those that, that, that season. But I don't have that anymore. But I still, I can't say, oh, well, I just might as well not do it anymore. No, we have to still fight for that time. It is so precious when we get before the Lord in, in prayer and reading and meditating on his word. And I sometimes share my meditations with, with our church family through text messages. But, you know, most time I don't. But, you know, I try to do that every now and then. I, I like for any of you all to do that sometimes. Just share scriptural meditations uh, with the uh, with the saints of God, but the, the point is, we have to do the hard work of getting on our knees. Do the hard work of opening our Bibles. Fight against our flesh, because the flesh is going to say no. The flesh is going to say you don't have time. All of us are granted 168 hours a week. That's seven times 24 for you mathematicians. All of us are granted 120, 168 hours a week. Are we redeeming our time? Are we doing the hard work of, because there is no cruise control in the Christian life. When we have that mentality, we slowly begin to drift away. We drift away. It can happen so easily. We'll drift. Paul tells us when he was talking about the temptations, what rather the Israel and their rebellion against God in the wilderness in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, let any man that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Then he began to talk about temptation. I think in verses 11 and 12 of uh, 1 Corinthians 10 that uh, there's no temptation except that which is common to man. But with every temptation, God provides a way out. But right before that, he said, let any man that thinks he stands take heed. We should never assume grace. 
never assume grace. We do the hard work in order to see spiritual renewal. As a church, we do that. We don't want to become complacent as a church. Number three, trust in God's word to bring his promises to pass. We talked about that earlier. As we read God's words, we read those promises. Trust God. He will bring them to pass. God is faithful, friends. He is so faithful. He's faithful to his word. And we praise him for that. He's the only one who's faithful. We're not faithful. We don't always keep our word. We make promises. We may have the best intentions <laughs> of keeping promises that we make. I think most of us do make promises with the best of intentions. But we fail so miserably, don't we? We made, I, I remember, you know, when I was in college and I was, I was struggling and like, Lord, if you just do this for me, I promise you I'll, you know, y'all had prayers like that before, you know. <laughs> Lord, I promise you I'll serve you. I promise you I'll give more. I, I, I promise you I'll start back going to church, you know, just making these promises to God. And, yeah, the Lord knows our heart better than we do, right? <laughs> because we, 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 can't, we can't do it perfectly. But there is one who can. And we trust him who does that. And then lastly, believe in Jesus. He is the great restorer of our lost souls. He is the great restorer of us, our souls, when we drift. And he is the great savior who saves sinners who repent and trust in him. So we pray we do, we trust, and we believe those are all active verbs. They're not in the passive voice. And don't you know God will give us the strength to do that? As we close, I want to read this meditation that I wrote on uh, Ezra 1 back on June 8th of 2015, back when I was studying through First and Second Kings and Chronicles, and then I went through Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, and I want this meditation here as a prayer slash meditation. I say, Lord, in your mercy, you do not put us away forever. Though you punished Judah by exiling them for 70 years, you allowed a remnant of 50,000 to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. In your sovereignty, you moved in the heart of King Cyrus, who did not worship you, to make provision for the exiles to return. Cyrus even gave the exiles all the gold temple items that Nebuchadnezzar took when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. Your word says Cyrus was chosen before he was born, Isaiah 44, 28 through 45 and 6. This was about 100 years or so before his birth. You also said by the prophet Jeremiah that the exile was going to be 70 years, Jeremiah 25 and 12. Lord, your word is true. Every promise, every prophecy, whether good or bad, comes to pass. This is why we should trust in you wholeheartedly. Your words never fail. Amen. Lord, I see Jesus in this chapter. You worked in the heart of Cyrus to send the exiles to their physical and spiritual home to rebuild the temple. You also worked or moved in the hearts of the returning exiles to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. It is Christ who works in men's hearts to change them. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We cannot change ourselves. Only Christ can. Only Christ can work in the hearts of evil men to change them. True change begins in the heart, Lord. I also see Christ in the rebuilding of the temple. When Christ works in our hearts and accomplishes our salvation, he puts his spirit in us and our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. You rebuild our lives through the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Jesus rebuilds. He restores. He redeems. He reconciles. This is what God is doing in Ezra. He is sending the remnant back to redeem, restore, and renew. This is redemption Old Testament style. This is a type of Christ. Lord, thank you for showing this to me. You are so wonderful. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for redeeming all who belong to you. In Christ's name, amen. Man, let us pray and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. We thank you that you fulfill your promises to your people. We thank you, Lord, for showing us what spiritual renewal looks like. I pray, Lord, as we go into this week of work, of course, we, most of us will be off tomorrow. Some may not be. But, Lord, as we go into this week of work, that we realize and that we understand that you are the faithful God, that you are the God who never fails, that you are the God who renews, who restores, who revives, who rebuilds, who regenerates our hearts. Father, may we lean on your promises, lean on your character. You will never deny yourself. You will never deny who you are. Father, thank you for showing us Christ in your word today. As we go through this week, help us to do the work, to trust in your word, to believe in Jesus, to pray for spiritual renewal. Do all this, Lord, with the Spirit's help and the Spirit's power. And Lord, as occasion presents itself, to share the gospel of salvation with those who do not believe, that they may experience spiritual renewal, that their hearts may be converted from darkness to light, that they may be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that they may go from being rebels to children of the Most High God. Father, continue to be with us this Lord's Day. Thank you for being faithful. Be with us tomorrow and for the rest of the week until we meet again on Bible study. And Lord, we just praise you and we thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.